Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Very powerful. So now, uh, there the Lord is talking about disability, inabilities of this life, right? That he has come with sufficient power to heal our inabilities and disabilities. And he's saying, in there is the message of eagerly awaiting the Lord. Because this man eagerly awaiting for, awaited for 30, 38 years, you can imagine, in that condition. He really eagerly awaited for the Lord. In other words, in distress. In distress until the Lord appeared and uh, delivered him from that condition. But most importantly, that the Lord has given him, God the Father has given him sufficient power to heal mankind from all your disabilities and inabilities also in this life. I'm just going, as we're going to the last one now, uh, John chapter 6, 1 and 14, Jesus feeds thousands of people. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half, years, a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And so there you see Jesus is saying that he is the true bread of life uh, that mankind needs, literally needs to live. In order to live, you need that. Let's read uh, the last one, which is John chapter 6, verses 16 and 24. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. But by now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the 
the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were, then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. No, that's very serious. That is now, in that miracle, the Lord is saying that he has sufficient power above the laws of nature, the laws of this life. And even most importantly, you see the similarity, the comparison between that miracle and the passing of the children of God uh, through the Red Sea. You see that? You see the comparison over there. But most importantly, above the laws of nature. But you can compare that with the crossing of Israel, crossing the sea. Very, very serious. And then the last one, the blind. John chapter 9, 1 and 7. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came back home seeing. And so over there, the Lord is talking about spiritual blindness, you can tell, right? That he has come to open the eyes of the church, the eyes of this generation, mankind, that they may be able to see the things of God and see the glory of the Lord, right? Spiritual blindness. He has come to open the eyes of mankind. So, now, all those put together, and then he says, the resurrection was the greatest. That all this was pointed towards resurrection. I just wanted to go through, to take advantage of that, and go through those. And resurrection was the greatest that we read from John chapter 11, verses 40, uh, 38 to 44. And you see that the miracle of resurrection points humanity to what Jesus would do at rapture. That's why you see in both of them there is the shout. He shouts and the dead men come out. And so Jesus performed this miracle of resurrection as the greatest climax of all his miracles. And all the miracles he performed always led to this one, pointed at this one. The resurrection of Lazarus that Jesus performed was essentially used to demonstrate the power that he has over death. You remember, he defined himself as the son of man, the son of God through resurrection. When he was able to defeat death, then now his deity, his divinity was well displayed, right? He was also appointed as the Christ and into the office of the judge, if you read the book of Acts chapter 17, 30, 31, because of resurrection. Are we together? So, again, the greatest miracle when he raised Lazarus and he was telling this generation that whoever believes in him he will use the same power on the day of rapture to make the same shout from up here in the atmosphere and they will come out of their graves. Jesus commanded with authority 
And when he commanded, he had power and authority over the grave and death. And he literally cried out aloud. And Lazarus was struck by that authority. Thank you, Elizabeth, for writing your book. Elizabeth from Virginia, thank you for writing, being born again and writing. And so, and so Lazarus, when he resurrected Lazarus, that power, that shout, that power struck Lazarus. That authority struck him, the authority of God that Jesus had, and woke him up. So this is exactly what will happen at rapture. And he literally underwent a spontaneous transformation. Remember the transformation we looked at in the beginning? Underwent that change, resurrection, transformation, and glorification. But in this case, transformation that all the nerves and everything came back together, the muscles, the fiber. The flesh that was rotting was restored back instantly. The blood circulatory system was reconstituted instantly. Blood vessels back, even those that were torn. The brain was fully restored from a rotting brain to a fresh brain with all the innovation, the nerves, fresh and functioning to coordinate all functions, including walking. The limbs, too, received instruction with the peripheral nerves, and he walked out with his eyes also seeing. Amazing. So death, the purpose of this was to demonstrate that death together with his cruelty was literally vanquished on that day. The Lord demonstrated his power to destroy the power of death. And the Lord Jesus is coming back in his human form again as he ascended. But this time with even a greater glory as we saw Tremendous glory, eternal glory, infinite glory. He's coming with the heavenly horse. He's coming as a triumphant king. He has a crown. I have seen him. He has a crown. Now he has a crown. Of course, he has many crowns, but I've seen the crown on his head. And he's coming with that power to resurrect not just one dead, but a lot of dead people. And so the soul of Lazarus, the soul of Lazarus that had gone up to be with the Lord, was immediately renditioned, was called back instantly from that conscious presence of God, called back to enter Lazarus' body. And that is what will happen also at the rapture. That is going to come with the souls of those that died earlier and they will enter those bodies that are resurrected and glorified. And so this the Lord did as a prophetic picture of what would happen at rapture. And that's why the Lord Jesus in First Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 14 says, Jesus will return with the souls of those who have fallen asleep before the rapture of the church. Very serious stuff, blessed people. And if you allow me, I will hand a bit of death and then I will release you. Don't want someone to say, oh, death again. When I thought, <laughs> when I thought it's Christmas and we had finished it so well. <laughs> hallelujah sometimes it's good to do so right let me take hell and put away now hell I put away so hallelujah very powerful so because of time I will simply leave out the imminency of his return 
But just be aware of the following now. Let me summarize for you what we have not touched. That now when you hear about the rapture of the church, it's much bigger than earlier perceived, right? Because earlier on we focused on what the rapture is and uh, the preparing of the church for the rapture of the church. And then we focused on those things, right? And we also focused on uh, Elizabeth is okay. The Lord bless you, my daughter. I just uh, This is me because I want you to enter glory. Yes, uh, it's very powerful, my daughter there from Virginia. So now listen to this now. When you now look at the rapture, then you don't only look at the event itself, but you ask who is being withdrawn from the earth? And why, is, uh, why are they being withdrawn? Meaning they are being withdrawn to save them, to rescue them from what is coming, a disaster zone. Number one. And then you see also what does the withdrawing them, what is the effect, the consequence of that on the earth? Darkness befalls. They are the ones that were snatching people from the lake of fire, literally, by bringing the gospel to them. But now they are being taken away. So you can imagine what the world would look like. And then you also look forward as in after rapture, what else comes into your mind? Appearing before the throne of God. That is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. That you may receive that which is due you. What you did in this body. In terms of the praises and the rewards. How you led people to the Lord. Before the throne of God. I have seen the church there. Before the throne of God. The vision of 29th of July, the year 2009. On the way to, uh, to, to Venezuela. While at the airport in South Africa. And then the second part of it, I saw the pale horse. That has disturbed the earthquake a bit now. So, and yet... Their time, all the horsemen, they will operate in the tribulation. So they are only registering their presence. And the Lord is only allowing them to do some of the things I'm saying pertaining to each horseman to make you understand that yes, it is true, I have seen their release. Okay? So now, uh, also, you have to account, you have to take account of the wedding, the day of the wedding of the Lamb. So not only the rapture, but what happens to the church, to how when she enters there. The, the, the day of the wedding of the Lamb up there, and then the triumphal return to Jerusalem. So that involves the second coming of Christ with you, the church, to Jerusalem. And the events that take place there, there is a battle, there is a building of uh, Jerusalem, there is a battle that takes place there where the Lord, they, they go to the valley, all of them go to, the, eventually, the Antichrist, they move from the city and they go to the valley. So the Lord goes and he crushes them in the Megiddo Valley. After crushing them, that's why his garment is full of red. Remember Isaiah 63? Who is this coming? Where are you from? Why is your garment red? It's I, mighty to save. It was the day for my vengeance. I crushed them. So he goes now to Petra. From there, I think he walks. I think he will walk by foot. I think the rapture saints will walk with him probably. But he walks on foot to Petra. I need to know the distance. Maybe is it quite some distance, the kilometers. He walks on foot and now he takes Israel from where they were secured in a place prepared for them in the desert. That is Petra. It's in Jordan there. So he brings them back to Jerusalem. And at that time he has built and the city is very huge. The city he builds is a very, very huge city. It's bigger than this land you see them fighting for here. And so, and then, so, so you need to factor that in, and including the, 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 the millennial reign and the eternal state. 
Now it's bigger. The rapture is a trigger and, and so forth. And we have seen that uh, the church enters their new homes in the new Jerusalem to enjoy the new heaven and the new earth. You must consider all that when you're handling the rapture of the church. The wedding of the Lamb, the reigning with Christ, you must consider that also. And then the eternal state. So can we look at death a bit before I leave? Hallelujah. Now, we have seen from First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who do not have hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So these two verses, they address the death of a believer. And I know that those who have been here in an earlier session, I covered it quite extensively, but I think it's an opportunity to give you another rundown on a summary, a review on that. We saw that death brings affliction, sadness, adversity, bereavement, misery. You can write anything you want, funeral, morgues, stench, dying, suffering, agony, despair, mortality, sorrows, lamentations, graveyard events there at the burial site, loss, fear, dread, anything you can write because sometimes you preside over, right? And yet the Lord is saying that because Jesus Christ died and rose again, now all this sting of death is neutralized. As you see, the sting of death, the book of Psalm, I can just read it, the book of Psalm 55, verses 4 and 6. Psalm 55, 4 and 6. Thank you, my son. Hallelujah. He's reading it. And so... My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, all that I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. It's amazing that he is calling death here. That horror and terror of death, he's calling death sleep. But he's saying that the Lord Jesus, he does smash the sting of death and take victory from death. And so that now, for you, death is a safe passage set by the Lord uh, that you may not fear death anymore, right? But why does he call death sleep? Let's just go through the following. John chapter 11, verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. So Jesus himself calling death. The whole Bible, literally, even the Old Testament, have scriptures. You can go through the Old Testament and you see that death is addressed as sleep, which is a stark warning to all of you here and those tuned in also globally on the cameras and on radio. The Lord is saying that therefore you need to wake up to the understanding that whenever you are created by the Lord, once created, you exist forever. Existence is what I'm using. You exist forever. And so that should be a wake-up call also to help you to ask big questions. Where do you want to spend your eternity? That all people after death, you have to give account before you are maker. What do you have in your account? You will have your report. Each one will give a report. What do you have in your report? 
when you will die. Because now he says that it's not your life. When you die, then you have to give account to the owner of life, right? And so he says, this serves as evidence that every human being who is alive today will certainly exist forever. That is serious. It's not anymore my life, how I want to live it. Not at all. He says, the fact that he's calling death sleep, that means there is a waking up. There will be waking up. And that's where now you need to reach the church, reach the people, and tell them, so what will you do when you wake up? What will be your condition? What will, what will be in your report before the Lord? So, the Lord is saying that death is not the end of existence, those who are making notes. And that this offers yet the strongest proof ever of life after this. So, you'd rather be planning how you are going to spend your life after this. Because when people sleep, they wake up. So, he's calling death sleep constantly here. Why? Because it's meant to ring a warning to you to live wiser. So, again, Hebrews chapter 9, 27 and Revelation 24, 6, Revelation 20, 11, 15, and Job 19, 25, 27, Ecclesiastes 3, 11, and Ecclesiastes 12, 1. Well, let's begin with Hebrews 9, 27. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And so in this kind of scripture Hebrews 9.27 the Lord is essentially saying that death is merely a door to the realm of eternity and the realm of accountability or judgment whichever way you want to put it. Thank you Nyamodi for writing very fast because CIA really needs this. And so Revelation 24 and 6, verses 4 to 6. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or in their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So you see that now. So... They are waking up. They are waking up. And of course there is first resurrection and second resurrection. We will not handle that now. But they are waking up. And those who have done well, the righteous, they are waking up and reigning with Christ. How about you, wherever you are? What will happen to you when you wake up? What will be your destiny, destination when you wake up? Because literally every person created by the Lord will exist eternally. That is what the Lord is using sleep to portray, to transmit to you. That just like when somebody's asleep, they close their eyes, so the dead also close their eyes in that way, and this they wake up. When they're asleep, they wake up. So those who are dead also will wake up. So when you wake up, what will be your fate? What will be your destination? That is what the Lord is using. This, uh, this word sleep to refer to death to transmit to you, to bring accountability to you on how you live on the earth here, especially the Church of Christ, and then hence to reach out to more people. And then we have Revelation chapter 20, 11 and 15, when they wake up for judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. 
the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up So that's the dead. amazing. So there is a lot of recordings in the books, right? That means a lot of things have been entered there. The things you say, the things you did, and sometimes even the circumstances you are in. Because the judgment also will depend on how much grace you were accorded. Did you see the cloud of God and you still turned around and, and, and played around with, fooled around with Jesus and still said, oh, I want to go open my church or do my things. Did you see the cloud of God? Did you witness the rain of Mount Carmel brought to you in your generation, in your country? Because it could have been brought in Tulsa, Oklahoma and you are told to book a flight ticket and go and experience it there. It Was it brought at your doorsteps in Kakamega? In Bomet, in Kisi, in Eldamaravin, and you still did not uh, capture this and be holy. So that is absolutely serious. The books were opened, and then he says, "People resurrected, <laughs> the dead came to life." And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and they and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Thank you. So, no, that, that's very serious. Very serious. So, if you can read for me Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 3 over there, and real quick so that we can catch up. We have so much ahead of us here. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 3 that will really explain this entire scenario where death is being called sleep and the Lord is transmitting a message saying be careful now that life you're saying my life my life is not your life the time you fall asleep when you wake up on the other side the owner of that life wants accountability read Ecclesiastes 11 3 if clouds are full of water they pour out rain on the earth whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. So what the Lord is saying is very serious there because he's saying the following. He's essentially saying that you, you will be true to self, true to type. That you cannot lie to the Lord. You cannot be what you are not. That if you will construct yourself to be holy, if you will walk here in a manner that you are holy and righteous and God-fearing, and then death comes and fails you. What he's saying there is that death fails people before the rapture happens. And death fails you. If death fails you and you fall, look at this now. He's saying, depending on your condition, your constitution, if you are holy, you will fall towards the north. I know the people in the south might, might want to slaughter me for that, right? So, <laughs> Hallelujah. But I'm saying, heaven is towards north. The Bible says, right? Okay, if you are holy, you will fall towards heaven. And where you fall, there you shall lie forever. Once you have died, you are not able. There is no possibility of retrieving yourself and changing destination. That is all he's saying there. Be very careful. When he's using the metaphor of sleep to be able to address death, he's simply raising this warning that be careful what you do with your life here. Because he's saying, 
if you are not God fearing, you are wicked and sinful, and at the point of death, death fails you, and you fall towards hell, you cannot retrieve yourself. Say, no, 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 I want to change. You cannot. You cannot change. That is what the Lord is saying there. And this is very important in helping the church, helping everyone globally tuned in even by cameras here, to now take their Christian salvation much more seriously. Because he's saying that when clouds have water, they faithfully release the water. When they have no water, they cannot lie and release in some fake water. So he's saying, when someone is holy, they will only fall toward holiness, towards the kingdom of God, towards Jehovah. That when somebody is sinful, is in sin, and they love sin, enjoy sin, they celebrate sin, if death catches them in that condition, they will only fall towards hell. And there they shall remain forever. So the opportunity you have to change your destination is now. And that's why we need to go out in large numbers, reach out to more people to change their destinations because uh, eternity in hell is horrendous. And Ecclesiastes 3.11, no one can lie and say, oh, I did not know. The Lord says he has embedded a chip. He has embedded eternity in the hearts of all. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Very serious. And that's why for Christians now, for the Christian believer, when he says that they are asleep, so the understanding is different now. That for them, they are asleep because they are looking forward to a better resurrection. For them, they are looking forward to the resurrection. You see in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 35, whereby, look now, they are resurrected, not like the other resurrections where people resurrected, died again, Lazarus died again, not at all. A better resurrection in the sense that when they are resurrected at rapture, they are glorified and they go into eternity with God forever. So, the context in Christian salvation is now different. Those who are righteous, those who are holy and they die. So when they say they are fallen asleep, oh, that's very powerful. The time they are waking up, they are going into the kingdom of glory. And that's why you are here, that you may be able to capture as many of them as possible. In fact, we have, I, I don't know whether Wachira is around, Elder Wachira. Or oh, is around, yes. So the, the, the hospital ministry we always discuss with him is tremendous, tremendous really. You, you, the examples, as he's still standing, look at this now. He does hospital, thank God many people have joined now. Now they are 125. Now all the hospitals in Nakuru are covered. But we still have hospitals in Nyeri, Karatina, where people are dying daily, Mombasa, without being led to Christ. You see that? But for him, what he has done, what the blessed senior bishop did, uh, Emeritus did, he simply raised senior people to handle these ministries. So he didn't give it to university students to run and do this and do this if they have time. He gave people that took it as a lifelong ministration, ministry. So, for example, the cases we discuss whenever I get those reports is when he goes there and in the cancer ward, for example, and you know, even the stench is unbelievable. Just to begin with the stench alone. And you see that when you are talking to that patient, even him, he feels sorry that you are, you are enduring this. Yes, he, you see he's humiliated because of the many flies. Can someone give Jafet Kori some water, please, so that we get out of this sleep thing? 
Yes, it's there. Once for all, so that we just solve this thing forever. I know. I also sat there and dozed a bit, right? But it's good. That means we are healthy, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> You're very powerful, my son. I bless you eternally. Thank you. Now, look at this now. Uh, you, you, even as you talk to him, he feels humiliated that you are, you are enduring all this. The flies are so many. The flies are so many. And the stench, the body is rotting the cancer. And so, and he's not able to turn himself sometimes, this type and all this, you know. Yeah, so, so, you know, uh, we have shared with him, I've told him that I want all the senior bishops to go to hospital ministry. I want the senior most bishops and the archbishops to go to the hospital ministry. Hallelujah. I want the senior most bishops to go to hospital ministry. It's very, very important for me that you go to hospital ministry. Because when you come from there, you are totally humbled. You are seriously humbled. You can never have any pride again. It's very serious. And so when they are in that condition and you are talking to them in that state, it shocked me because all they say is that I wish the Lord would give me a second chance. I would do what you are doing. Meaning, all of a sudden you wake up at the doorstep when you are about to leave and you know you are leaving. The doctors are saying it's no parable and what have you. All of a sudden you realize, Kumbe, you had another mission on this earth, which you did not do. So the Lord created you to reach out to people. Yes, to serve him, which you did not do. Because never do you hear them talk about their wealth, or their family, their children, their shamba. And so that's very serious. And that's why you need to go back to them, and speak to them, and tell them, please let us focus on the mission for which you were created. Because the life you have, there's accountability ahead of us here. You must be accountable eventually. And so, now, the place he is in, like the hospital ministry, you lead somebody to the Lord today, and tomorrow morning you come and find he has been willed to the morgue. Oh, that is very powerful. That is very serious. Hallelujah. So we need to harvest them. There are many hospitals. There's Mombasa. Busia, level 5, we have uh, Narok, all over the country. We need to reach them before they go, so we can harvest them for Christ. Why? Because ahead there is accountability. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, my son. So, this is what the Lord is saying eventually. He's saying, death does not obliterate you at all. So you continue existing after death. Just know that. Because some people say, oh, if I die, I die. Not at all. Death does not terminate you. Your existence continues. Okay, can we stop the movements now? Are we agreed? Thank you. No more movements. Anyone coming, you just stop them from that side, right? So, he's saying, death is not terminating. It's not the end of your existence. So we need to be very smart and live our lives knowing that we are going to account before the Lord. In other words, prepare yourself to meet your creator. Right? 
And uh, after death, of course, you give account. And he's saying, it's only the type of existence that will change. That now you become eternal. If you are going to the lake of fire, it will be eternal. If you are going to heaven, it will be eternal. And you will be given the respective body that will help you receive judgment or live eternal life. Now, what have I said until now? Everybody focus on me. In the context of First Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 and 14. The death of a believer and the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus. What I've said until now is this. That when Jesus died and rose again, then that death and resurrection gave a command. It literally commanded all people to resurrect. Don't even clap. All people, when they die, to resurrect. All. And number two, that death and resurrection of Jesus, apart from commanding all people to resurrect, also commanded those that have received Christ and are holy to be rewarded after resurrection. There you can clap. And then, number three, those who have not received Christ and have not been holy, that death and resurrection of Jesus has commanded them to resurrect and be punished. Very serious. You must be very careful how you live your life on this earth, right? It is not a joke anymore. And there are scriptures we can read through very fast if we have time. Really, we don't have much time, but the book of John chapter 2, 18, 19. John 2, 18, 19, and then uh, we'll finish with that. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Very powerful. Now, I just want to run down the following summary as we close down now for tonight. So the Lord is essentially saying in the scripture that rolls out and defines out the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 and 14 alone where he's addressing death and resurrection of the believer and of Christ. How the resurrection, death, resurrection of Christ is the hope believers have, right? So in that scripture where he's describing this death of a believer and the resurrection of a believer, the Lord is saying the following, that the greatest promise God ever gave the church is resurrection. That only that now you can live for. Only that you can preach also eternally. You can go everywhere, tell them, for us, when we resurrect, we'll have eternal life with the Lord. But those who die in sin, when they resurrect, there will be judgment, right? So Matthew 28 verse 10, I don't know how much we can read here. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Matthew 28, 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Very powerful. That's the moment now. He has defeated death, right? And then 1 Corinthians 15, 20. 
But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Very powerful. Meaning the rest now who are also born again have that, uh, th- that benefit of being raised into the kingdom of God. Including Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 we are not reading where he is the first begotten from among the dead. So he's saying that resurrection in the scripture describing the rapture. We still together. Hallelujah. Celebrating death and resurrection of Christ as the hope. That is the hope he was talking about there. Don't mourn as though you have no hope. For you, you have hope. Why? Because Christ Jesus has already died and resurrected. And he has permitted you to share, to take part in his death and resurrection, his victory over death. So he gave you a safe passage. So, and then he says, it teaches us that resurrection that he is exalting there as our hope now teaches us to be heavenly focused. Now we know that our destination is heaven and it teaches us that the world is not our home anyway. Right? That's number three right there. That this world is not our home. Because now we know that we are all bound to be resurrected, to be taken into glory. Hallelujah. But those who are not born again, it is your duty to run there also. Right? And bring them out. And so... It also helps you to ignore the pressures and persecutions of this life. In other words, to persevere. Because now you know you have greater. Someone can say, no, you see, if you receive, if you want to be born again, I kill you now. Now it does not matter. We don't renounce Jesus. Now we never renounce Jesus. Because if you renounce him now and live on, you can only live for some time, but you still die again. But now we focus on the eternal life. The resurrection, the gift of resurrection he has given the church. And I'm not able to give you scriptures because they, they, there are so many scriptures we don't have time. And I say the world is not our home then. Because that means when you're on this earth, just prepare for life after. Resurrection life. Life with Christ. Life eternal. Right? And then, it also teaches you that when you're here, you must plan for life after after this. And another thing that I may not have time to handle now, but I want to mention, is that if you look at the preachings of the disciples of Jesus, I have said it again and again in many countries. I've said that the Lord is looking for the first church, the first faithful church, where they preach Christ Jesus crucified, Christ Jesus resurrected. They walked Christ Jesus crucified, Christ Jesus resurrected. They testified Christ Jesus crucified, Christ, Jesus resurrected. So now look, resurrection is the power of the gospel. Without resurrection, we have no gospel. So that is what the Lord is saying from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 and 14. Even what we preach, the hope we preach is that there is resurrection after this life. For those who are born again and going into glory. Hallelujah. And so our salvation is strictly based on resurrection, right? You tell them of this great hope. Now, whether someone is dead, you are in a funeral. That's why he's saying you don't have, oh, you, what shall I do now? You've done this. You, oh, you have left us like this now. Why have you done this? No, 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 no. He said, don't do that now. He says, now for you, you know that we have hope beyond the tombs. And we are going to be in glory with the Lord. The soul has already gone to be with the Lord. And when the time comes when the rapture takes place, 
your body is also glorified and join the Lord. So for us, we mourn, but with hope. Did you say you don't mourn? Not at all. You mourn because you need it to release uh, uh, the pressure, you know. Yeah, but with hope. Now with hope. It's totally different. So you live a different life from uh, everybody else. And so he's saying that Jesus was confirmed son of God. The Lord Jesus was confirmed son of God only through resurrection. Hallelujah. So you go and preach resurrection. Thank you. For those who want to receive the Lord, it's time to do so. These days, they don't even know how to play instrumental. Maybe somebody else is the one in the controls. That's amazing. He has not been taught it. <laughs> A lot of issues there. Somebody's talking near the microphone somewhere. So maybe you are somewhere tuned in in New York City or somewhere in Philadelphia or in Fairfax, Virginia or you are in Sydney, Australia or Seoul, South Korea maybe Stockholm. Okay, there is a feedback. Let me remove the feedback. There is a feedback of my sound. Can you remove the feedback from my sound? Wherever you are, I know there is no space. You don't have to kneel down. There is no space. So wherever you are, in fact, you'd rather be standing because it's easier for you. Please do that. Do that here, please. Wherever you are, it does not matter the distance from here, maybe an island, and you have heard all these great things that have been spoken here about hope in a world that has no hope. And you've heard that so much hope has been spoken here that for those that will receive Christ Jesus, there is hope even beyond the tombs that even when they die, their lives are celebrated. Their funerals are a celebration of a life well lived. And that because of that hope, even the life that the Christian believers live in this life is totally different. It is contradistinction from the life other people are living full of melancholy, sadness, distress. But for us, we persevere because we know that there is resurrection to go be with Jesus. And you may have heard all this from far away, other nations, other cities, even Kenya probably, South America. And maybe you're wondering how you can also be partaker of this tremendous hope within an ocean of distress and despair. The answer is very simple. Whether at that hospital bed, to simply receive Jesus. And that's why I want to give you this opportunity to receive Jesus and turn away from sin that you too may partake 
of the rapture and the kingdom of God. Say, mighty Lord Jesus, I repent and turn away from all sin. And I ask you, my Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. Please establish righteousness and holiness in my heart. And give me zero tolerance to sin. Lord, keep me steadfast. Waiting for the coming of the Messiah. In absolute holiness. In the mighty name of Jesus. I am born again. Amen. Thank you. The Lord bless you. I'm going to bless you from out there. We have a session out there, okay? I'll give you the eternal blessings, the commissioning, and we are going to discuss everything also appertaining to the umbrella organization outside there. Everything is moving out. I think chairs are going to move out there. And then the final session will be out there. Jesus loves you. I bless you all in the mighty name of Jesus. You are the example, church. May the Lord continue helping you, shielding you, protecting you, defending you, walking with you. And your families too. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you.